I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome along to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week with Nadine Matheson, who is incredibly busy. And she's found the time to publish her debut novel, The Jigsaw Man. It's a huge success too, been translated for 13 countries and counting. It's been optioned for telly and it's sold plenty. We talk about the comic books that help her write, how she used her career to inspire grisly stories and what going back to school has made her much better at being open to criticism as well because i don't know i don't think there's one writer who likes being getting feedback back on their work or being criticized but being in that open form being with other students and having regular sessions where your pieces of work were workshopped and then obviously i got feedback from maybe like 10 other students and then in addition to the tutor that was definitely beneficial because you can get a bit blind, like you've got blinkers on when you're writing, you don't see. It's all on the way in a brand new writer's routine with Nadine Matheson. Yes, welcome along to Writer's Routine where we take a look inside an author's working day to see what's going on, to see how they do it, to see how they take an idea and plan their day so they can plot it out, so they can get it done, so they can publish it, fingers crossed, and sell a lot of copies. My name's Dan Simpson. Thank you for joining us. You can always get in touch with us, by the way, over on the contact page at writersroutine.com. And if you're enjoying what you hear, it's over 200 episodes now. You can support the show at patreon.com forward slash writersroutine. This week, we're with Nadine Matheson. She works as a criminal solicitor and has just published her debut novel. It's called The Jigsaw Man. It's all about Inspector Henley, who is tasked with finding the killer of bodies found along the River Thames in South London. And it's set in the area where she grew up. So we talk about how much she wanted to accurately portray that area that she's still very close to and immensely tied to, and how she got that done. Also, we talk about how she got ideas working as a criminal solicitor, why she accidentally went back to school to study a master's in creative writing. That was never part of the plan, but it's helped her out a lot. You can also hear how she balances time writing and working as a lawyer and why comic books help her write and help her plot. It's all on the way with Nadine Matheson in this week's Writer's Routine. And we start off, as we always do, with what Nadine sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. I have a canvas print 
because I'm a comic book fan, to have a canvas print of the Justice League <laughs> right in front of me. And then to my left is my window, but I don't sit in front of my window, otherwise I'll just be staring out, out of it all day. And then to directly in front of me to my right, I've just got a small bookshelf. I think I'd call it like my reference library. That's where, that's where all the dictionaries and screenwriting tricks for authors and writing tip books seems to be. And on my right is another comic book reference, a picture of the Joker, which was a gift from my brother. And then on my desk, I've got a large plant. I was trying to bring some life into my room. So um, I've got a large plant and my desk is a bit of a mess at the moment. Most definitely. How is it messy? What's on it? God, I've got a lamp on it. I've got two diaries, two notebooks, one open, my iPad, pencil case, highlighters, post-it tabs. (laughs) Just scattered. And it started off so, honestly, when I started back at work last week, so that was that January 3rd, I can't remember, whatever date it was, it was so neat and perfect. If you went on my Instagram, you'd see it. And then now it's just chaos. But it's good chaos. It's like creative chaos. Uh, okay. How, how, how does it end up that way? I don't know. Is this just, you're kind of doing things and you're moving stuff around? Is there, have you got like a plan of when you clean it? Is it a once a year thing? <laughs> clean it when it's just like too much I'm like okay, I need to put things organized so sometimes it could be like once a week I'll try and rearrange it but at the moment because I've gone back into um, a manuscript I was working on just before Christmas so I've got my chapter outline out again and I've got my notebook out so I'm kind of going back between my notebooks and what I'm working on on the screen I'm looking at your um I'm just flicking through your Instagram now and I can see yes it was my it was my your desk was much tidier last It was so <laughs> neat. It was like it was like Instagram in IKEA. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, well listen, I'm I can also see the picture of the Justice League that you've got ahead of you. I'm interested in yeah. um your passion for comics. Uh I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but what has reading comics kind of taught you about storytelling and structure because the way comics are set out is quite refined. Has that had an influence in the way that you write novels? I think definitely. I mean, I've been a comic book fan since I was a kid. Um, I've got two brothers and we're exactly the same. We, My dad and my uncles gave us loads of comics. So we was always reading them. But very much, even though you've got the visual medium in the comics, but it is very much about the story and plot and structure and making sure that even if there's maybe very little happening on visually that the story is able to be conveyed away um, to the reader so I think comics has definitely taught taught me a lot about structure and also about plotting for a long series as well because I write police procedurals so the first novel The Jigsaw Man is the first one in a series and with a comic book you could have um, a storyline take place over maybe 11, 12 issues. So it's about maintaining that storyline, maintaining the, the um, character arc and the story arc. So I think I've definitely learned that from reading comics. Well, we'll get more into the story and Inspector Henley in a sec, but you're talking about more long-form storytelling. How many books in advance have you have you got an idea for, for at the moment? Definitely at the moment, four. So I've written the first two and I've done the outlines for three and four, but I've already got like basic ideas floating around in my head for the follow-up books after four after book four right let's just let's pop ourselves back on your immensely cluttered desk um i i think i saw on your instagram you had 
uh, like an iMac that you are writing on? What what software are you using? How are you planning on that as well? Oh, I'm a Scrivener. I use Scrivener for the first draft. It's weird. I only use it for the first draft. I don't use it for the second and third draft. After the after I've got the first draft, I transfer it onto Word. And for me, I don't know. For some reason, it seems easier to move things around. But I don't plan on Scrivener, and I don't use it. I tried it once. I tried a plotting outline app, but it doesn't work for me. So I'm strictly pen and paper, and I'm plotting the outline for the story. How does that look? What's a, a an outline on pen and paper? How does it seem? It looks like because I follow the three act story structure, so I literally copy the graph onto um onto the, onto a page. So I'm using normally I use like a legal pad for some reason. I just like an A4 legal pad. So I'll write I'll copy out the graph onto there, and then I basically fill in the gaps. So for Act One, Act Two, Act Three, and then plot in the inciting incident, then obstacles and right down to the end. So I use that as my basic outline. And then I move on and do like a section breakdown for, I wouldn't call it each chapter, but I break it down into like 30 sections for a novel. And I do like a summary, three line summary for each section. But it's not, some people think it's very detailed. I don't think it's detailed, but that's how I start off. Well, this morning I was very good. So today I was... I left the house firstly at quarter to seven. So I do a Pilates class in the morning. I've got a bad back, basically. So Pilates works um, for me. And so I finished my class at eight. And then I'm back at, yeah, I'm back about quarter past eight. And then normally by nine o'clock, I try and be at my desk. Um, So normally for the first hour, I'm just going through admin stuff. And then from about 10 o'clock, I try and write. I say try because some days are really good and other days are just, it's just like pulling teeth. So I will do that. And then normally about one o'clock, I'll try and take a walk just around the local park just to have a break from it. And then I'm back to writing. And then normally I'll probably stop about maybe around six in the evening and that will be my writing day. I'm not one of these writers who can write throughout the night, like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock or two in the morning. My brain doesn't work <laughs> after 10 o'clock. It, it doesn't sound like you would need to. I mean, you're putting in quite a lot of graft if you're kind of cracking on from 11 till 1 and then some significant time in the afternoon as well. Uh, I, I don't know, say for instance, you're say for instance you're working four or five hours of writing time a day. How, how full on are those four or five hours? Is it kind of relentless typing throughout the whole thing? It depends because yesterday it was like that. Yesterday I had like a good four, I'll say like a good four to five hour block and it was just typing, just, you know, relentless writing, getting the story down. And other times it could be maybe I'm writing for an hour, then I have to go and do a bit of research. So, you know, I come off Mark Scrivener and I'm back on back on the internet. Or um, I think yesterday I was actually like going back through old um, legal books because I'm I'm a solicitor, so I was going back through those just to get some um, case law for for a, a book that I'm working on. So I would say it can be on a good day, it can be four to five day, hours of just working away. Interesting that you say about how you are a criminal solicitor. Uh, a, fr- a friend of mine works as a lawyer as well, and I know that time management is exceptionally important because you're kind of billed by the eight minutes or whatever it is that you're working for different things. Uh, how much has that had an effect in 
the fact that you seem to be able to sit there for four or five hours at a time and just relentlessly go at it? I think it's had a big effect because I, because I practice criminal law and I do jury trials. So if, if we have a typical court day, if it starts and I'm doing a trial, if it starts at ten, we're not li- we're not rising for a break until lunchtime. So that's ten o'clock till one o'clock. So that's a good. Is that what four hours? I'm not sure. Maybe a good four hours, just a block <laughs> of just working. Whether you're you know cross examining witnesses, taking notes, um, because another barrister is cross examining someone. So it's a good solid block of work. You know, you have like an hour break, then you're back again until from two o'clock till 4.30. So another two hour block. And then with the deadlines, if you're doing, I say, long trials, it's not unusual for a judge during the course of a trial, say he wants you to put forward a legal argument on a particular issue and have that done for first thing in the morning. You're being told at 4.30. So deadlines are routinely part of your working day, even if you're not doing a trial and you're just preparing for a case, there's deadlines always set in place. So in a sense, being a criminal um, lawyer, it has prepared me for working to deadlines and also getting a lot done in a, maybe in a short space of time also. I just, I'm always amazed at that work ethic because mine, my attention span is fairly short and I always find my, my brain kind of, uh, you know, going on flights of fancy. What What kind of tips could you give to someone who is perhaps a bit like me on how to train yourself to be able to focus for quite a long stretch of time without needing to go off and do something? I mean, I'm like you. I've had to train myself because I can get distracted very, very easily. Like I can always find something else to do. So in a sense, being a lawyer and being forced to sit down for a long period of time, it's, it's helped me. But I just, I find for me, I have to get into a routine. So I said this morning I was up, I was out, and then at my desk from nine, so I've, I've got that solid four-hour block to work. And I won't, um, normally I won't put any appointments in, in my diary for that day. I just try and completely block it out. And I can't work in silence either, so I've usually got music or something playing on um, in the background. But I think the most important thing for me, just to, to avoid getting distracted, is to give myself that routine and also have a clear plan of what I want to do what I want to achieve writing wise um, for the day. So today I know that I want to at least get two or three chapters done and I've got my outline. So I'm kind of working through my outline because it's the first draft. Your outlines, how thoroughly do they take you through what those two or three chapters need to be? How much room is there for uh, diversions uh, along the way? Oh, there's loads of room because I said, if, I'm saying, other people say it's detailed, but there's only about a three line summary of what I want to take place in that line. So I always call it like a like a safety net in a sense. So I've got loads of room to deviate from the plan because sometimes that you're writing um, a scene and suddenly like a new character just pops out out of nowhere or your plot just diverges off in a completely different direction. So I think the reason why I give myself just those three lines is to give myself room to take account for all these new things um, that could happen. But then if I get stuck... At least I know I can go back to my plan and see what my initial um, intention was. And I know that, as you say, working as a as a solicitor is fairly full on. How how much time do you get to write a, a week? Would you say how how many days do you have that's yours just to tell stories? Well, luckily I'm freelance um, at the moment, so I took time off. But when I was working full time as a solicitor, it was I had to use the time for like lunch hours. I would work. I would 
work um, when I got back from court if I didn't have anything to prepare for a case the next day. So it was was literally just finding pockets of time within that working day. And a lot of time at court, there was a lot of waiting around also. So I could have a case listed for 10 o'clock in the morning and the case may not be called on until 2.30 in the afternoon. So the times that I'm waiting, I'll use that pocket of time to write and also at the weekend. Being freelance, you're able to just organise your diary a little bit more as opposed to being full-time employed. Perhaps that explains why you do plot quite thoroughly because you need to be able, if you've got you know 20 minutes or so in the courtroom where you're not doing anything, you need to be able to switch your brain to do something else quite rapidly. Yeah, exactly. Because if I know, okay, I've got an hour, or I said you've got 20 minutes, I can write, I'm working on chapter six, and I can write this brief scene, remember it's like a police interview scene, for example. I've got 20 minutes to get that scene down. And if I'm writing the first draft, I don't worry about it being perfect at all. Because I always call the first draft, is that's my opportunity to make the mistakes if I have to, because I'm going to fix it later on in the second, third and fourth drafts. Towards the end of the day, when you said that you stop about six o'clock, uh, how good are you at switching off? Oh, I'm so good. I literally turn the, <laughs> turn, I turn the computer off, I close the door and I just go downstairs and I will watch really bad TV or pick up something to read or just do, I'll just do something completely different. But the thing is, when you're, when you're a writer and you're, when, I think even if you're just a creative, like those moments of creativity just pop in even when you're doing something like really boring, just like doing the washing up. It's sometimes in those moments when you've paused that your brain starts working again and you can come up with new scenarios for your characters, new plot lines for your for your novel. So I suppose in a sense you switch off, but you don't really. There's always a little thing in your brain kind of whirling away. I know you said that you enjoy music. You can't really work in silence. Is, 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 there, is there anything else along the way that just helps you get into that flow state, that helps you get into the frame of mind that you need to work? Maybe a cup of coffee at a certain time? What is it? Music. I have my tea. I must have my tea. I'm trying to drink more water. So I've got one of those big, massive chilli bowls. I've got, I've got like, the biggest one that I could find. <laughs> so I'm trying to drink more during the day. It's weird, isn't it, how we all need to spend money to drink water. Like, I've done the same. I, I, I rinse through water bottles when, you know, I've got a cupboard full of cups and I could just use that, but it's something about... <laughs> I know. It's so ridiculous. It's like, I could use any m- number of the glasses and stuff that I've got downstairs, but no, I've gone and spent money on another chilli bottle because I lost one before. So I'm using that. So I've got that, literally. That's on the left of my desk. I've got my tea, which I just finished. Um, I've got a really bad sweet tooth, so... I bought like a bag of fruit gums yesterday because sometimes I just need that to just help me through. So those are like my little my little comforts that I have. Let me ask you. I was googling all about you earlier on, and and is, is there a book called The Sisters that you wrote? Is that yours? Yeah, that's mine. I wrote. God, how long ago did I write? I think I wrote that in 2013, 2014. I did it as part of NaNoWriMo originally. So um, that was the first. Like, actually, to be fair, that wasn't the first book I wrote. The first book I wrote, I think I wrote that in early 2000s. And that's sitting in the drawer. Literally, it's sitting in the drawer somewhere. But I think every writer's like that. There's a first book that will never see the light of day. But The Sisters I wrote as part of NaNoWriMo. And I had and I actually completed NaNoWriMo that year. So I had these 50,000 words. And I thought, actually, it was a good st- I thought it was a good story. So I worked on it for a few more months. And at the time, um, that was like the height of self-publishing. 
And a friend of mine, who is also a barrister, but he left, he was a writer as well and he writes sci-fi. And so we were kind of like working like a little support network, writing our novels together. And so he was self-publishing his, so I decided to self-publish their mine. So that was the sisters. So I think I, I think I eventually self-published it in 20, I think it was 2015. Very quickly, you mentioned your mate who was also a solicitor who wrote novels. I, I've, I've spoken to quite a few lawyers along the way who are novel writers. What What is it about that profession that maybe leads you to do this as a side hustle? I think, I mean, for me, I think it's, I spent so, especially doing criminal law, it's so intensive and it can be so serious. Because, I mean, sometimes we're dealing with like the very worst of society. And I think sometimes you need some kind of outlet and doing something creative is the complete opposite of that. So I think that's probably what leads a lot of lawyers to move towards the, um, the creative writing side. But also, especially when you're doing, I suppose, criminal law and civil law, your clients, they can become char- they're characters in themselves. And sometimes their own, um, the cases that you're working on, like I sit back sometimes, look at my cases and think, no one, no one would believe this. Like, you couldn't make this up, but this is actually real life. So I suppose sometimes you use that as inspiration as well. And you think, well, what would happen if I was to make a story out of this, to turn this into um, a novel? But I think fundamentally it's down to your working life. You know, your nine to five is so intense and so serious. It is a matter of if, you know, depending on the result of the of the case, someone could go to jail for life or be released. So you need some kind of outlet for that. And then after the, the sisters, am I right in thinking then you went to, to study a master's in creative writing? Yeah, I did. <laughs> that happened by accident. <laughs> well, so, 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 so tell us more, what, what led you to... I'm always fascinated by those who go to a... You, you know, no, those who aren't, with all due respect, in their, you know, t- they're not teenager and oh, they no. kind of go back <laughs> to school to, to learn how to properly write. Like, why did you do it and what did you learn? That's the thing. I had no intention of going back to school because in addition to, um, you know, working as a lawyer, I also teach law. So I teach criminal law and I present courses to trainee solicitors. So there are times when I'm not in court, I'm in a classroom. So I had no intention of going back to school, but I I was off sick. I had an operation, so I was off work for a few months. And then I was on Twitter and I saw a competition saying it was run by City University. And I think it was in, they co-hosted it with um, PFD, a literary agency. And it was a competition for, send us 5,000 words for crime novel. And when I saw two win 2,000 pounds. So I thought, okay, I'll just send off, I'll send off what I had. Cause I'm sitting at home doing nothing, watching Tipping Point. <laughs> whatever it's called <laughs> so I thought I wrote these 5,000 words sent them off and then I read reread the small print and it was 2,000 pounds of a bursary of a creative writing masters and, <laughs> and I remember I was talking to my brother who lives in Japan and I was like I don't want to go back to school I just don't you know I, t- I don't want to be in a classroom um so I wasn't really bothered about it and then a couple of months later I got an email saying congratulations you've run I was like, oh God. So that's how I ended up doing um, the course. But really it was one of the best things that I did because with that creative writing masters, I had to write a novel to complete the course and that novel became The Jigsaw Man. And because it was focused just on crime writing, it was probably much more intensive in looking at things in terms of like plotting a crime novel, you know, the structure of a crime novel, which I think is completely different if you're just writing I suppose like the sisters was just like a family drama. So it just seems to be a bit more linear 
in how you would write, but crime is much more plot driven. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, it's me again, just very quickly popping by to remind you that if you're enjoying the show, and it's a meaty one today, if you're learning anything that's just helping, changing, tweaking the way that you're planning your days to write your stories... You can always say thanks to us for that by pledging to support us for however long you can manage over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. And by all means, it doesn't need to be a lot. Just a couple of dollars a month really helps us keep going. It helps us keep bringing you these chats with the best authors around as often as we can. Every Friday so far for pretty much the last three years. Chats with new authors, debutantes, old authors, People that have sold millions and millions of copies, memoir writers, non-fiction writers, crime authors, fantasy fiction writers. There's so much going on, so many different storytellers that we bring you. If you've learned anything along the way, in over 200 episodes now, you can support us on the Patreon. For that, you get merch, you get bonus content, there is even a way for your book to sponsor this show. And as always, you'll get our undying thanks by helping us out, by just pledging what you can and becoming a backer at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it then with Nadine Matheson talking about her debut novel, The Jigsaw Man. In this part, we talk about her career as a lawyer and how that inspires her writing. Also, you can hear what she learned while writing book one and how that's changing working on two and three. And we pick things up with her accidental trip back to school to study a master's in creative writing. Even though that wasn't intended, how much did she get out of it? What did she learn coming through school again? I think it was giving me confidence in my own writing voice and also writing in different styles as well. So I think that it gave me the opportunity to experiment a lot. Because I think for me, for me, I I would have just stuck to just writing in one particular way and using one particular voice. Whereas doing the course over, I said it was over the course of two years, so it gave me room to you know try writing in the first person, try writing I suppose a psychological thriller as opposed to 
a police procedural, focusing on character for one week and then focusing on dialogue for another week or and then looking at research and how you incorporate research into your um into your novels. Because I mean I have no issue with research because part of being a lawyer is you spend a lot of time researching cases. But when you're writing a novel, you don't want your novel to read like, I don't know, like a subsection of Wikipedia. So it's just finding ways to incorporate that. So that's definitely what it taught me. And also um being open to criticism as well, because I don't know, I don't think there's one writer who likes being getting feedback back on their work or being criticized. But being in that open form, being with other students and having regular sessions where your pieces of work were workshopped. And then obviously I got feedback from maybe like 10 other students. And then in addition to the tutor, that was definitely beneficial because you can get a bit blind, like you've got blinkers on when you're writing. You don't see like necessarily the falls. Yeah, I completely understand that. And it's it, it's interesting, isn't it, for for everyone at every stage of life, even for someone, you know, that's a that's a solicitor, someone that's doing a lot of stuff still to to get tweaks and to get taught in different stages of what you're doing is 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 incredibly helpful I think I mean you know even Andy Murray playing tennis as a coach well exactly I mean they're, they're all, no matter what stage you are you still need someone there I suppose outside of your the little bubble of your head advising you and critiquing you and giving you an alternative um, viewpoint and I suppose it takes away I suppose a feeling of being arrogant about your work because, you know, if it's, if it's only you looking at it, you can convince yourself you're the best thing in the world. And <laughs> then it takes someone else to be like, actually, no, this is not working. So through the Masters that you accidentally took, you were, you, were, you, 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 <laughs> yeah. had, you had to write a bit of a story and that became The Jigsaw Man. Tell us, Nadine, about the first moment that the idea for this story came into your head. We had to write, um, we had an assignment that week and it was about suspense, creating suspense. And I I live I live in South East London and I live by the, I grew up by the river as well so it wasn't unusual to see people walking along the river banks and that as kids we played along the river banks and you would see body parts like I've seen bodies being pulled out of the river as addition to you know the usual shopping trolleys and things but the river just pulled up thrown up so many different things and my initial thought was. You know, how would it feel for just a normal member of the public going along the walk on the riverbank and suddenly they just came upon um, a body part? And that was my initial inspiration for the opening of The Jigsaw Man and creating suspense. So the first, the prologue of the novel is, I think it's three different witnesses and they're each finding a different body part. But I wanted it to be like a bird's eye view of what was happening and everyone's finding a body part at the same time. So that was the main inspiration. And also, um, sorry, like years ago, there was a case called the Jigsaw. Um, they're called the killer, the Jigsaw killer. And they found body parts along the motorway, different body parts. So that was, that always stuck in my head also. Then from that, from your the bird's eye view of three different people finding different body parts, it, you then have to grow that into a, you know, a 90,000 word story or whatever it is. So then you get... Uh, Inspector Henley, how? What are you doing after that initial idea that moves it into this full-on plot? You discussed with us how you you plan earlier on your thirty beat points and the three acts. Uh, how did you take that one idea and move it into that three acts? Well, I had Henley from another like another story I'd written, but he hadn't really gone anywhere because I hadn't planned it. And that's one thing I realized. Realized um, reason why I planned is because 
if I was just to pants it, I would get the 20,000 words and nothing would happen. I'd get stuck. So Henley was kind of floating around in another story somewhere, but I wasn't using her. So when I had the, the initial outline of someone finding these body parts, my next thing was, okay, so, you know, well, who's put the body parts there? And then I thought, okay, Henley, I'm going to use her. She'll be a perfect detective to do this case. But then what's the case? So what I'm doing is constantly asking questions. So for me, the next question was, right, she's a woman who, I think in her time, she's in her late 30s. So she was in the same age as me at the time. So I think this, the woman is already established in life. So what's happened to her in her, you know, in her history? Um, so which is why she's got PTSD in the novel. And then my next step is, okay, so... We've got these body parts. I've got my detective. Who is she pursuing? And I was linking it back to she's someone with a past already. So that's when I came up with the idea of copycats and her having to go to someone she dealt with in her past, having to go to them for help, who happens to be a serial killer. So I'm just constantly asking questions, I think, is how I work. And when you're writing, when you're working, you know, in court as a criminal solicitor, you've got a, a more first-hand view of some of these people than other crime writers out there. How much did that influence who you're writing about? A lot, because one thing I know about defendants, it, you just you just can't assume that they're going to be a particular way just because they've been charged with a particular crime. I mean, everyone has got a history. There's, everyone's got a background. And I think for me, I'm always trying to work out what motivates people. And regardless of what the what the allegation is, every defendant will have will come up with some kind of explanation as to why they did do something or the reasons why they couldn't possibly um, be involved. So, and also when you're when I'm summing up a case to a jury, when I'm giving a jury speech, I'm trying to give, uh, I suppose, an image of my of my client, shown trying to present them as not being a cliche. So, so it's going beyond the cliche. So. Having that in mind is what makes is what I always think of when I'm trying to come up with my own characters for my novels. I never want them to come across as being flat or cliched because a serial killer can be, you know, you can have a very cliched image of a serial killer, but there's got to be something that motivates them. Am I think as a criminal solicitor, is that someone that de- defends people that are, you know, facing quite hefty sentences? Yeah, I don't prosecute, so I've never prosecuted. But yeah, as a criminal solicitor, I'm just uh, it could be anything. We call it like from general crime. It can be like basic. You stole a joint and lamb from Sainsbury's to the most serious of, you know, murders, sexual offences, big massive frauds. So it covers the whole range. Everyone's background is and everyone's history is different. But you can transfer someone's. If I was to say like a, I've got a client of mine, I transfer their background onto the page. It can be quite boring. There might be nothing much you know, to their background. They might have had a perfectly normal childhood, you know, normal relationship. Just just happens that one night they got into trouble. So with, when you're creating characters on the page, you're trying to come up with something that is interesting about them and something that I suppose is a little bit above normal, um, if that makes sense. So it's not just, it's not flat. Because otherwise it can be, oh, you know, we've, we've read about this person before. There's nothing new, there's nothing unique about them. So it's just trying to pinpoint what is different, what is unique, what will grab the reader's attention and think, oh, you know, this is not a normal serial killer. This is not a normal victim. This isn't our normal detective. Like I think Henley, I don't think Henley is a normal detective that you read in crime novels because one, she's female. One, she's a black female officer. 
And two, she kind of reversed the roles where she's left the husband at home to look after the child and she's the one who's gone off to work. So it's, it's always about finding something different. Uh, you spoke about your plan earlier on. How, how much did, did, did your final story, how much did that differ from what you originally thought it was going to be? It differed a lot. And I found my plan um, the other day, about a couple of months ago. I was going through my computer and I found my original plan that I wrote. And it was a lot shorter and there was a lot less um, victims in there. <laughs> and without giving the like spoilers away, um, the reason my, um, the killer, one of the serial killers, Olivier, he was never a major part of the story in my original plan. He was just literally appeared at the beginning and you never saw him again. Whereas in the version that's out now, he's such a big part of the story and he just, he's literally, he's, his impact can be seen like on every single page. So that was the main difference. But it is really funny when you look back, at, especially if you're planning, you look back at your very first plan and you see your final product and you see so many different changes. And yeah, I didn't even envision those changes when I first sat down. Them, but when Olivier starts to become more of a... a- uh, more of a figure in the book than you originally thought. How much do you remember mm. about that happening? Do you remember thinking, oh, I guess he needs to do more than I thought he did? Or, or was it just you realised it when you finished your final copy? No, I was very resistant to it. I think what happened was that I had, during the course, um, of the other students on the course with me, and they were all friends now, they were reading it and everyone was like, oh, we really like Olivia. And I'm like, okay, it's good that you like him, but He's not going to be in it for much. And then when I sent the novel off to um to agents and my agent that I signed with, like he really loved Olivier. And then the same thing when we when I got um a publishing deal, my editor she really loved Olivier and said we need to see more of Olivier. And I was like, do you really need to see more of him? But then I thought, okay, let's work with this. Let's see what I can do. But the more I wrote him, it's like the more his voice, the louder his voice became, and the more. Yeah, he became more of a person the more I wrote him. So it was it was like I had to I had to learn, I had to become like friends with him <laughs> in a sense as I wrote. I had to form a relationship with him whilst I was writing it. And that's how I came to realise, yeah, this is the best decision actually. Let him be visible, more visible. There are certain things readers expect from crime novels and uh, I know you've told us about some of the things that you learned when you went and studied uh, crime creative writing. How much do you think about like the classic beat points and tropes and plot points that tend to be hit during crime novels? Did they, did you, did, were you making sure that you did all this? I think I do. I think especially with the second and the third novels, I'm making sure that I'm hitting certain points, but, it's, I think it's hard to predict when you can have like a pl- when you can predict a plot twist, like in advance. Sometimes they may take place at an earlier point than you envisioned, or it could take place later on. But I have like when I'm doing that initial first um, outline, I have those. These are the four beats that I need to meet. So the very first act, I know I'm going to have an inciting incident quite early on. Then I know there's at some point before the act one ends that there's going to be. Like Henley's going to have a second thought about the case. Should she carry on? Should she walk away? So I'd always have those things. I'd make sure that I must meet those things. What about language as well? Uh, crime novels tend to be written in a certain style. There's normally very little room for more more fancy prose. Uh, how much did you kind of buck that trend or carry on? I think I probably, I don't know, I think I probably carried on 
with it. I don't think I've, um, I don't think I've done anything different um, prose wise, but I think it's hard for me to write prose. I've had to learn to write prose. I think I'm very good at dialogue. And I think that's because I'm constantly engaging in, 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 in talk. You know, I'm constantly talking to people, whether I'm questioning them, my own witnesses or cross-examining someone. So dialogue is very, it's a very strong point for me. But it was the prose and, you know, just explaining how a character's feeling, what's going on in the scene. That's what I've had to um, work on. But whether or not, God, reading a lot. So when I say read a lot, definitely um, reading a lot. And always always answering my um, editor's notes when she says, what is Henley feeling? And I'm like, okay, what is she feeling? But now I'm learning to prompt myself to answer those questions. So if I've got a long piece of dialogue um, in the piece I'm working on, I'll go through it and be like, okay, how can I break it up? You know, what is my, what is the, about to say the client, <laughs> what is the character feeling at this point? So I have to force myself to ask those questions quite early on. Uh, also where it's set, I mean, you were talking about finding bodies, parts in the Thames, <laughs> especially that area of, because uh, is it kind of Deptford way, that that kind of South? Yeah, yeah, so, it's, De- yeah it's Deptford Greenwich way. So this is old dockyard area where t- yeah. t- traditionally it's always been written fairly grittily fairly uh, y- y- you know it's always it's always raining if, if like that kind of thing when when you are when you're writing that in a in a in a crime novel how much thought are you giving to really painting an accurate picture of of the location i give it a lot of thought because i said i grew up here i grew up in deptford in the greenwich area and i want to make sure it's portrayed accurately and not just as it avoiding the cliche because because it, it was old dockyards and when you watched um god i think i was watching the old um long good friday like an old movie and they were showing um the old dockland and he said it's all it's all just wasteland or um scrapyards and said that dark and grittiness and just depressing and reality is that now in 2021 it's completely changed because there's massive overpriced apartment buildings you know overlooking river banks we've got our waitrose we've got coffee shops all over the place so all of that is has changed but i kind of want to show people yes you've got all these lovely things but there is also like an underside that is still there so even if you are taking a lovely stroll along the river bank um on a sunday afternoon in greenwich the likelihood is that you might just happen to see the river police going past and they're pulling someone out of the river. So for me, it's important to be authentic and to be fair. So that's novel one out. As you said, you've written number two and you've got number three and number four, uh, kind of the idea. What what did writing number one teach you that you're going to move forward and use in uh, book three and four? Oh my God. Um, Number one taught me that I need deadlines. <laughs> if someone doesn't give me a deadline, I will just float around. So there was a part, there was a point when I was writing book two and I didn't have a deadline because I wasn't writing to, um, I wasn't writing to contract. No one was asking for it. So I was just kind of floating along. But as soon as I've got a deadline in place, then I will, I will, I will meet the deadline. I never miss it. So I will keep going. But for me, I think chap- um, book one just showed me the importance of being clear about who my characters are and what, what their story arc is. And just also having that clear structure in place. And that's something that I always make sure I carry through um, with my other novels. And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Nadine Matheson for coming on the show. You can get a copy of the book, The Jigsaw Man, at your local bookshop. 
be nice to pay it back to them. Now, next week, uh, we're chatting to Stacey Willingham about her book, A Flicker in the Dark. It's being developed for HBO Max after being optioned by Emma Stone. She'll be on next week to let us know where it came from and how a huge break in publishing has affected things. That's next week on the show. In the meantime, you can support us at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Get in touch on the website, writersroutine.com. And you can always follow us on Twitter. We are at writerspod there. And I will see you next week with Stacey Willingham on the show. Until then, have a good one. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.